0: This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, people, time for a little State of the Union. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since i put out a pod. I need a little break with the election going on here in the U.S., and it still, in some ways, feels like it's still going on, but... Uh, Seems like the writing's on the wall that the American people elected Joe Biden over 5 million more votes, but uh, Trump and many of his supporters feel that there's been some irregularities, to put it mildly, in the voting tally. So we're all waiting here in the United States to uh, have the election be official. But at the moment, at least it's not. And interestingly, we haven't seen Really, are heard much from the president? Well, of course, we've heard from him on his Twitter account, but we haven't seen him much at all, and he hasn't taken any questions from the media since uh, his "quote unquote" protest has taken shape. So, seemed like a decent time to uh, take a little bit of a break. Um, been working at our tennis academy quite a bit here in New York, so I've been enjoying being on the court with the kids, the coaches giving some lessons, and I'm back at it on the TV side, just started up again today. I'm here in beautiful Bristol, Connecticut, which is, uh, if many of you don't know, is the home of ESPN, where we are uh, preparing to televise the last four days of the NITO, I'll give him a little plug, as uh, the sponsor of the ATP Finals in London, normally at this time every year we make the trip over to London uh, to call the year-end championships for the men, the top eight men in the world. But this year, because of COVID, obviously, we are not making the trip, and we're doing it here from Bristol. Now, many of you probably don't realize uh, this, but for many years when I first started with ESPN, uh, you know, 20-some years ago, uh, before we got into covering Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, we always covered the Australian Open. Ever since I've been with ESPN, I think we, I think the ESPN's actually covered the Australian Open for, I believe it's almost forty years now. So ever since I started with ESPN, a little over twenty years ago, we always did the Australian Open, but we didn't do the other majors. So we used to do many of the European events. Uh, the big master—they're called the Master Series now—events, uh, and we used to do a lot of them from here in Connecticut. So back when I first be- began my broadcasting career, I used to do a lot of uh, what we call remotes from here uh, at ESPN studios uh, for you know, like the Monte Carlo tournament, Rome, uh, Hamburg. For a number of years, was a, was one of the big clay court events before the French Open. Uh, So I'm sort of used to it. We actually have a very nice studio setup that they've put together for us here. Normally, back in the old days, we used to just call it in a little studio where we would get the the, uh, national feed coming in from whatever country the tournament was in, and we would just basically call it off a television monitor. So now ESPN has set up a, a very nice studio for us. We're still looking at the match coming in from London Live and calling it. Uh, myself, Brad Gilbert, Chris McKendry is hosting, uh, but we have these big screens and it's pretty high tech. And I believe that uh, this is what we may be doing for the Australian Open. Okay, which is about uh, a little about uh, about two months away, a little less than two months, because it certainly doesn't seem like the Australian government is looking to let too many people into their country. I even just announcing. Um, within the last couple of days that it appears the players themselves will actually not be able to get in the country as early as they had thought because there is a mandatory two-week quarantine. And there had been some talk for uh, a while that they were going to try, the Australian uh, Federation, that is Tennis Australia, it's known as, was going to try to have multiple events in various cities and have the players come into those cities uh, Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, these are traditionally cities that host uh, a warm-up events or events before the Australian Open, which is held in Melbourne, so that all the cities would participate. But now it sounds like the Australian government has said no to that. And uh, it looks like the players themselves will have to go just directly to Melbourne and whether they're going to, I think they're going to be able to quarantine you know, sort of at the hotel and practice and train similar to what was able to happen to the U S open where the players came into town a couple weeks early. Uh, they were able to check into their hotel and basically essentially just go from the hotel to the Arthur Ashe stadium into the Billie Jean King national tennis center. And of course they moved Cincinnati to uh, the same location to keep the players and their entour- their small entourages in this proverbial tennis bubble. But as we know, uh, if you follow the news at all, you know that Australia government is pretty intense when it comes to the restrictions. But you think it's intense in this country? I mean, people—I still find it amazing that people are sort of complaining about having to wear a mask and and you know the government's trying to take away my liberties and my freedom. I mean, in Australia, Darren Cahill, who was with us at the U.S. Open, just as an example, and then he went to coach Simona Halep at the French Open. Uh, Before he went back to Australia. When he got to Australia, you go into a mandatory quarantine in a government controlled hotel for two weeks, no questions asked. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, two weeks in a hotel, you cannot leave your room. Okay. They bring you food like three times a day. So nobody's saying that Australia is a fascist government or, you know, taking away my liberties. This is just what governments have done. So, uh, obviously, in our country, things are different and, uh, you know, for better or in this case, for worse, that uh, people think that somehow putting down these mandates means uh, that you're taking away my, our, you know, our liberties. Uh, here's the good news. The vaccine seems to be coming uh, more effectively and uh, more quickly than uh, anybody could have anticipated. So the Trump administration and uh, the people, the, the drug companies, uh, and the system that's helped make that happen obviously deserves a lot of credit. So hopefully that can get rolled out, you know, as quickly as possible over the next four to six months, and uh, maybe we can all of us get back to normal. So anyway, I'm here in Bristol. And uh, I just finished actually doing sort of a practice call of, the, of, uh, of a match because we were just testing out our systems and calling it off the monitor and, um, and so on. So we will come on live starting on Thursday, which many of you listening to will probably be this day as I'll release this uh, Thursday morning. I'm, I'm recording this right now Wednesday night, having watched Daniel Medvedev, uh, dismantle Novak Djokovic, or should I say Novak Djokovic really dismantling himself, because, uh, you know, Joker can do this now at this stage of his career where he's, he's obviously number one. He's clinched number one for the year, which is something he was motivated to do. But if you remember in Vienna a couple of weeks ago, once he uh, got the points he needed to clinch number one, he basically threw in the towel against an Italian player named Sonega, lost two and one to a guy who came in as a lucky loser in that tournament. And uh, he sort of did that today against Medvedev. I mean, the first six, seven games were actually very competitive, Uh, great rallies from both players. Djokovic was actually running Medvedev around a lot more than um, Medvedev was running him around, and they had a long, long game at 3-all on Djokovic's serve. Uh, He'd saved a couple break points, and finally Medvedev was able to break him after expending an incredible amount of energy and Djokovic you know sort of makes a decision in his mind at that point that he's he doesn't really want to go to that physical wall to win a match like that now obviously he knows that he can and if this were the Australian Open or uh, a major um, he would do that but in this situation where he's sort of pacing himself uh He knows he's got number one wrapped up. He knows he's got one more match to play, by the way, which will be against Alexander Zverev uh, on Friday. And if he wins that, he's into the semifinals. So you remember back in the day when Connors criticized Lendl because he sort of kind of did what Djokovic did today, which is tank, semi-tank a match, knowing he's got one more to play with. Connors called out Lendl, said, you know, you never do that. But, you know, this is why these great players are wired a little... I mean, you probably wouldn't see Nadal do that. This surface is the toughest for him. The indoor courts at the O2 Arena where they're playing in London. You know, that's this is a tournament he's never won. Djokovic has won it five times. He's trying to win it for the sixth time. Um, so that's something that motivates him. But again, you know, Djokovic kind of plays these matches where he's looking at the bigger picture. So to him... The Australian Open is probably what he's thinking about. So he's, well, I'm not going to really empty the tank in this match. I don't have to. I could still qualify if I beat Zverev. Even if he doesn't beat Zverev, I don't think he's going to be that distraught about it. Uh, The money, of course, you win, you know, he makes more money if he wins it. Um, But I don't think he's totally motivated by that at this point. Uh, But I think he's motivated by the numbers, he's motivated by the titles. And certainly, the major titles are the biggest thing that is motivating him at this particular moment. Um, and the U.S. Open was one that certainly got away. That was one where I think he's recovered pretty well from that. I mean, mentally and emotionally, you know, it looks like he's still he's still in there after you know he got to the finals of the French, got steamrolled by by Nadal on the clay, which was surprising how. Uh, one sided it was it wasn't surprising to me that Nadal won it, but it was surprising I thought that he won it as easily as he did in that championship match. So you know it's opened the door. These younger guys continue to knock on the door. You've got team who had a monster win uh, in the in the group already over Nadal, which was a great match went to two tie breaks, uh, a real real battle and Nadal as he always does is going is going to battle till the end. Uh, he's still got another chance. In fact, that'll be our match live on ESPN uh, Thursday, tomorrow, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, against Sitsipas, So Sitsipas had to come from behind win over Rublev to keep his chances alive uh, after he lost his opening match in another good match against Dominic Team. So it's pretty simple now, which it normally isn't, as far as the year, these year-end championships go. You've got Team is in. He's 2-0. and He's clinched his group. So his match against Rublev, you know, matters for points and some extra dollars, but it doesn't matter for uh, whether or not he, he reaches the semis or not. Same for Rublev. Now, then you've got, it'll be uh, Djokovic against Zverev to determine what happens in that group as uh, Medvedev has clinched that spot. So, you know, this, this tournament... Over the years, you know, with Federer dominated for long, as did Djokovic. They've been the two guys that have been the most dominant in the last 15 years in this tournament. But you're seeing in the last couple of years, you know, Dimitrov won it a couple of years ago. Tsitsipas uh, won it uh, as well. Um, Zverev won it a couple of years ago. It was Tsitsipas last year. So those guys, you know, they can beat Djokovic, Fed obviously they can beat them. Teams done it multiple times, including in some big tournaments. Uh, but the reason why you're seeing this happen a little bit more this event is combination of factors. The younger guys are getting closer. They're knocking on the door a bit more. They can beat jo- the Djokovic's and Feders and Nadals. Certainly have a better chance in two of, two out of three when it's not a major. And then when you take into account, well, obviously Fed's not here because of the injury. And you know he paces himself a little bit as well over the last you know five years in this event, even though it's tailor made for his game with the low bounce and the indoor conditions. Same for Djokovic. Djokovic is 33. He's still a little bit younger than Nadal, a lot younger than Federer. He's looking at the bigger picture, and you know what? For 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 whatever it's worth, people aren't going to look at how many ATP Tour championships you win. Uh, in the same way that they look at overall majors, okay? So, uh, again, it's a it's a mentality. It's a mindset for Djokovic. He's got to be locked in mentally and physically to uh, grind these matches out, you know, against a guy like Medvedev, who's proven he can beat him, by the way, even when Djokovic is totally into it and uh, wants to go to the physical wall. We showed some highlights today as we were doing our practice call of the match of uh, the match they played against each other back pre-pandemic was still 2020. It seems like 10 years ago uh, at the ATP Cup down in Australia, which was an awesome event. And, you know, the players representing their countries, but it was an unbelievable atmosphere. Tons of Serbians in the crowd for that one. Djokovic won it in a really tight physical match in three sets. It was 6-4 in the third. Uh, so even my point is that Medvedev is right there. So for Djokovic, he's you know he's a little off. He's not really willing to pay the price physically and mentally in this particular match in this day. So it turns out to be a routine win for Medvedev. So Medvedev has been disappointing overall this year. But as Brad Gilbert noted, he was calling it the match uh, with me today as we were doing it. Uh, you know Medvedev turned it around. In the last month, I mean, he won the Paris Masters. That was his first title of the year. Uh, again, he started that year reasonably well at the ATP Cup. Uh, but he sort of tailed off, you know, pre-pan, obviously it was early in the year. Um, and I think the 2019 season caught up to him a little bit because, remember, he had such an unbelievable uh, second half of 2019, winning Cincinnati, finals of the U.S. Open, winning Shanghai. I think even by the, this event last year, he was a little tuckered out. He, he lost all three of his round-robin matches in this year-end championships last year. So he's back. Team, I've been really impressed with the way he's played here in his in two tough wins, Sitsipas and Nadal. You know, he's becoming a legit threat on on this surface, whether it's outdoor hard, indoor hard. Uh, his ability to take the ball a little bit earlier off both wings, particularly, the you know, stepping into the backhand, returning better. He's just become a better all-around player. Um, obviously, winning the Open, you know, was, uh, was monster for him, uh, and I think that sets him up very well for having a chance to win this one here, uh, but also setting him up very well for 2020. So Australian Open, I mean, it's looking – I it's for sure going to happen. Well, now I i can not say for sure. We don't know for sure because the pandemic, who knows, I don't think there's any cases at all. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I just heard this, that there were no cases whatsoever in Australia. So, or, or maybe in Melbourne. So whether or not that's, that's accurate, I'm not sure, but let's put it this way. There's very limited number of cases, if at all. But if they start letting players in from all over the world and uh, not doing sufficient quarantine and or testing or a combination of that, Australia obviously is taking this ex- incredibly serious, seriously, and they don't want to see that happen. So let's assume the Australian Open does happen, which I think it 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 likely will. It may happen with, with very limited fans or no fans. They'd already said months ago that they're not going to allow fans in from uh, other parts of the world, which by the way, is a huge hit to the economy of Australia and to Melbourne because they count on people coming from all over the world. But obviously we don't need to get into that because we know I mean how about, you know, Broadway being shut down in my, my city, where I'm from in New York city. I mean, you talk about uh, the economy there and the tourism industry just in general. So let's um we can all hope and pray whether we, uh, voted for Biden or Trump or whatever that uh, this this vaccine uh, can get rolled out as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, there's rumblings that maybe we 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 I'm talking about we as a society could uh, hopefully get back to some sense of normalcy by late spring, maybe summer, maybe after that. But it's just been a wild time, and for the tennis season, one of the things I brought up today and I'm sure we'll get into this weekend as our coverage um, continues, you know, through the finals on Sunday is the reality is the pandemic from a, from a competitive standpoint has not really changed uh, who's going to win or lose a tennis match. You know, I said that from the start, we saw some surprises uh, a little bit at the U S open, particularly on the, on the women's side, but for the most part, I mean, the best, you know, now they go out there, they, they, they're totally used to it. They walk out there, the players, knowing that there's not going to be any fans, there's not going to be any hoopla, there's not going to be the bells and whistles, the reaction when there's a great point. And guess what's happened? Just like everything else that ever happened when they changed the rule in tennis, where they went to you know a super tiebreak for in doubles, or they changed the tiebreak rule, or at Wimbledon, or whatever, the players adjust very quickly. And this has been a major adjustment. I mean, to go from having you know the 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 response that Nadals and particularly the top players are used to getting when they go out there, and now you don't get any of that, but it's still about how you hit the tennis ball and how you play in a competitive situation. The, the, the crowd at the end of the day makes for a great spectacle and obviously makes for the business of tennis, which like any, many other businesses is in trouble. Okay. If this doesn't get, you know, resolved fairly soon, just like, uh, you know, the grocery store down your street and driving through different parts of New York and seeing, you know, half the places shut down. I mean, it's horrendous. So, uh, we think about all those people, but it's affecting the you know professional tennis world as well. I understand that it doesn't have the same impact, uh, nor should it, as you know people not being able to like open their keep their restaurants open and uh, their gyms or you know whatever it may be. Uh, so we we think about those people, and I I see it every day. I mean, I see it when I drive past in my my local area where I live just outside New York city. When I drive into New York city, we've been very lucky at our Johnny Mac tennis Academy in New York that, you know, knock on wood, we've been able to stay open and keep um, kids getting exercise and adults getting out. Tennis uh, is, is a distant sport. So we're lucky, but now it was just announced today that the New York city schools will be closing for an amount of time. I didn't catch how long that is. I'm assuming it'll be at least through, you know the Thanksgiving holiday, which is coming up next week anyway, my guess, you know, again, I'm no, no expert, I'm just watching the news like everybody else, uh, would be thinking that this probably will extend to at least January, so we get through December and you know see if we can control this, this next wave, and the, uh, the numbers are going up even in New York City, where, by the way, everywhere you go in where I live, and whether it's Westchester or Long Island, we have a tennis club out there that I, I've gone to and spent a lot of time there in the summer or in, in Manhattan, everybody wears a mask wherever they go. I mean, it's just not even no questions asked. So I, the whole non-mask thing I just don't get, and it just uh, drives me absolutely batshit crazy that, that people think of it as some sort of political statement or something. It's just basically completely absurd. But there we are. That's the situation we're dealing with. Uh, looking forward to uh, being able to take my mind somewhat off of that and hopefully for you all as well. Sorry if I got into it too much. No, I'm not sorry because this is my podcast and if you don't want to listen, you don't have to listen, but we obviously talk mostly tennis and we have fun with that. So anybody has any other ideas about some good guests for me to pick up? I think I know the tennis. Well, actually let me know what tennis people you'd like me to speak to. Cause I'm going to keep mixing it up with tennis people Was sort of uh, you know celebrity types that we know like tennis, and also just regular people that are tennis lifers. Which I find some of those interviews they don't get the numbers that some of the big names get, but I find them very interesting, and I think um, they're a great listen. So if you're listening to this podcast and you scroll down the list and you see some names of someone you don't know, they're probably a person who's lived their whole life in tennis, and I would recommend that. You just jump on one and listen to it because there's some great stories it's all about life stories and you know what what uh, tennis can bring to people's lives so I'm looking forward to calling you know this for the next four days I think it's sort of a my sense is that this may be what we're doing for the Australian Open, which will be interesting because we'll be up all night calling matches uh, <laughs> with the time change being here in, in Connecticut in, in the northeast of the U.S. in the middle of winter. So that will be a wild ride. But uh, hope everybody is well. Uh, let me know what guests you'd like uh, to hear from. If you have any ideas, I'll track them down. And I appreciate you listening to another episode Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.